Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. And let me welcome you to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live today in San Francisco. That was the Fed chair, of course, following what many describe as a hawkish pause by the central bank. No increase in rates, but the outlook, which the markets were waiting for, shows holding them higher and more restrictive and keeping them longer there than perhaps anticipated. And with that, fewer cuts than the market has priced in for next year as well, perhaps because they also raised their economic outlook for next year, which Chair Powell talked about. He said, quote, the economy remains robust, GDP growth higher than expected, labor market, he says, still tight, but coming more into balance. He also said, this was interesting, at least five times, perhaps even more than that, that they will, quote, proceed carefully but would raise rates again if necessary. He said, uh, based on the outlook, it was, quote, more likely than not that they'll raise at one of the two remaining meetings. Also wouldn't call a soft landing a baseline scenario, but that it was still possible. He did call it the primary objective. Joining me now to discuss all of this and what happens in the markets now is a CNBC exclusive interview. It's Double Lines, Jeffrey Gunlock, with us as always, uh, as he always is on Fed Day. Jeffrey, welcome. It's good to talk to you today. Nice to be back again, Scott. Yep. What's Long your big press takeaway? conference today? Yeah, yeah. It sure well, you, was. You, you nailed it. What is your takeaway from it? You nailed it with your uh, intro. That's what I was going to say. The word of the day is carefully. He said it two or three times in his prepared statement, and he said it many, many times in the, the Q and A. I think there were there was something in there for everybody. I, I think this is uh, really one of the best uh, Fed decisions that we've had in a while. I, I think that that carefully concept is wrapped around the idea that we've raised rates 525 basis points. He pointed that out in his statement. We continue to do QT with Stephanie Link, I think prior to the Fed decision, I think correctly pointed out, doesn't get enough play that QT continues to happen. So, you know, they did upgrade uh, the f- forecasts for uh, next year, uh, unemployment not as bad, uh, economy a little bit stronger. Uh, so I, I think he's right about all this. I think that it's, it's the right thing to not raise rates. I think it's the right thing to wait. Uh, we have a lot of indicators that are uh, looking at softness. A lot of people are making a big deal about uh, the consumer uh, resiliency. I, I, I think a lot of that's due to high prices. And you see that in credit card uh, gains. There was a big drawdown a couple months ago, but it's back up. So we see a, a lot of uh, debt in the economy. And Another problem uh, with the economy is there's been so much increase in interest rates for uh, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department. In other words, the uh, interest on the debt is really going up a lot. And it's going to go up every month that rates stay at this five and a quarter to five and a half level and obviously go up faster if they do another hike or two, which they're certainly contemplating or have the door open to. We've already had hundreds of billions of dollars of increased interest expense, and it's going to go up a lot more uh, with these interest rate levels. And it's creating a lot of bond supply. And the bond supply uh, has been one of the reasons interest rates have been going up, in addition with the quantitative tightening. The good news, I guess, on interest rates is at least taxes are going to get paid uh, here in California uh, on October 15th. One of the reasons the deficit is so big is there's been deferral 
of tax payments, that's going to go away. In fact, it's going to get a lot worse because here in California, we're going to have to pay two years worth of taxes unless they change the rules for the 2023 tax payment and push that forward from April 15th. We'll have October 15th, 2023 and uh, April 15th of 2024, that's two years worth of taxes paid in six months. And I know mm -hmm. that some people, you know, are, are prudent and plan for that. I know I have. But a lot of people, they adjust their lifestyles. And that has to do also with a headwind on the student loan payback. Because we know a lot of people, when they weren't paying their student loans, they, they spent the same amount of money or they borrowed money. They paid, them out, they paid the same amount of interest by ramping up their credit cards. And that's certainly been the case. So we have, we have a lot of cross currents right now in the economy. I kind of see it in a transition. And the data is extremely non-reliable right now because of all of these distortions from the government money and now the payback of, and, and now the, the drawdown in those excess savings, now the payback of loans. And now we have these strikes showing up. So we have cross currents regarding the inflation situation that it makes it very prudent for the Fed to have a wait and see attitude. These strikes are obviously inflationary. The oil price going up 30% since June is obviously inflationary, right? So all these, things, all these things are happening. But at the same time, the shelter component of the CPI is definitely coming down. The owner's equivalent rent lags badly. If you look at the Zillow and apartment list rent roll indices, they lead the owner's equivalent rent or the shelter component by about a year, and they're, they're basically flat year over year. So a lot of cross currents going on, and yeah. it's absolutely appropriate to wait and see for the data. So they did the right thing. You know, Chair Powell said, based on the outlook, that it was, quote, more likely than not, as I've already said, that they'll raise at, at one of the two remaining meetings. You made the case repeatedly recently, including just last week, a few hundred miles down the coast uh, from here with me, that you thought the Fed's done. Do you still maintain that view that they are finished raising interest rates? I, I think the probability of rate hikes is higher than what I thought before this oil spike happened. The oil spike is really going to be problematic. We already know that the base effects, the roll-off of the CPI, is, uh, is, is going to lead to very likely inflation going back up. Uh, kind of staying where it is now in a sticky way, maybe even going to a four handle on the headline CPI before it comes down with that shelter component effect. And so I, I think the chance of a rate hike is higher because, we, because these oil prices are going to be a real problem. My gasoline station, uh, over the past few months, the price has gone, uh, I get Supreme gas, uh, 91 octane. It's gone from 550 to $7 a gallon already in just the past uh, a few weeks, and that's not going to go down with West Texas Intermediate above 90. So those things lead to a little bit of a headwind against the idea that the Fed can uh, can cut rates uh, or or stay stay on hold. And I think that it's appropriate that the Fed uh, sort of downgraded the so-called rate cuts because of this uh, these mm -hmm. cross currents of inflation. So yeah, I, Jeffrey, I do think there's a better probability that we'll get a rate hike than I thought, say two months ago. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now. It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Steve Leisman, of course, was uh, in the room, uh, asked a question to the chair, as he always does. He's, he's stepped out now uh, and is going to join our conversation. You know, Steve, I, I want to hone in on an issue that, that you raised earlier and a point that you underscored in your, in your question with the chair, as, as, asking why a more restrictive real rate uh, next year uh, than this, to which he was explicit where he said, because of the stronger economy. And I just want your perspective, because what, what I feel is now um, interesting to talk about is it seems to me that the chair's biggest problem now is not where inflation is, it's where the economy is. And he is afraid that because the economy is, as he said, much stronger than they thought it would be, that inflation is going to come back. He doesn't trust necessarily that it's going to remain on the trajectory that it's been. Yeah, I mean, Scott, let me just point out from the Vulcan mind melding department that that is the exact quote that I brought to you here was his answer to that question. So I'm going to let Chair Powell say what he said and answer the question. And if you don't mind, I'll comment on the back end of that. Rather than pointing to a sense of inflation having become more persistent, I wouldn't think that's not we've seen inflation be more persistent over the course of the past year. But I wouldn't say that's something that's appeared in the recent data. It's more about stronger economic activity. Now, just to understand what he was answering, the question is, he even surprised me. I was on Scott's show earlier today saying, I think higher for longer is going to be what we're going to hear today. But it surprised me that from a real rate perspective, take the Fed's inflation forecast, take their funds rate forecast for next year, the Fed becomes relatively more restrictive next year. I thought maybe it would pivot a little bit higher. But in fact, what happened is they kept the inflation rate the same, but they added a half a point or took away a half a point of rate cuts that they had previously penciled in. And Scott is right. I think think, um, uh, uh, the Stronger economic growth is part of it. I think there's also a persistence to the service side of inflation that may be a part of it. But look, here's the thing. Even though the forecast, Scott, 
is one that is relatively more hawkish. The overall forecast is more bullish when it comes to GDP, when it comes to unemployment. And I think I take Powell at his word that he's going to be careful in getting there. Just because you have a plan, even sometimes, Scott, if that plan is a little reckless, doesn't mean they're going to execute it. So the idea that they're going more slowly should give you a little comfort, even if the direction of travel is one that is ultimately more hawkish. I was going to ask you that, too. The, the idea of those words, proceed carefully. Uh, as I noted at the outset, I, I counted at least five. It's probably a couple more. Jeffrey himself raised it very much at the top. Do you want to just uh, opine on that, why uh, he felt it so necessary to underscore those words? Well, I, I, I think the reason is because, um, look, he did an awful lot of work. 500 basis points is a very historically aggressive rate hike cycle. He's gotten through it to a point where there's not obviously going to be a recession at this point. He has a chance to stick a soft landing, and he now has the luxury to take a little bit more time. I think the idea of a pause this month made a lot of sense. It may be they pause again. In fact, Scott, if you look at the probabilities, I'm sorry, I haven't looked at it since I came out of, uh, since the 2 o'clock uh, uh, announcement, but it was higher for December. So they pushed it ahead. They said, they said you know what, I think November is likely to be a pause. And it's not even at the 50%. So Jeff could be exactly right. They are done with somewhat higher probabilities that they're not, but the odds-on call right now is that they are done, and the focus now is this how high for how long. Today we learned longer, but I think Powell's also saying, you know what, if I don't have to be, maybe I will take some back. Yeah, good stuff. Steve, I appreciate it very much. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter down in Washington on the backside of the Fed chair's news conference. Back to Jeffrey Gundlach, who's clearly still with us, too. Um, Jeffrey, your reaction to that, what, what Steve Leisman uh, had to say about, you know, the economy being sort of, you know, this too strong economy in some respects being an issue for the Fed chair? He really bought himself some time in a very clever way, Jay Powell did, I think. You know, he basically said, we're, we're, we're mindful of economic strength that, you know, like GDP now has been, it's pretty high at the Atlanta Fed. It's got downgraded recently, but it's still, I think, in the fours, maybe the high fours. So it's a hat tip to that. They, and they, they do the clever thing of buying themselves time. You, they make a forecast for, you know, the future, six months from now, 18 months from now, and they leave rates unchanged because they're cognizant, rightly so, of the potential for all of the accumulation of this tightening between the 525 on the Fed funds rate and the quantitative tightening to date. I'm gonna go back to the old shadow Fed uh, statistics where there was a study done uh, where they said if we didn't do this quantitative easing, quantitative tightening, if all we did to manipulate uh, monetary conditions and, and looseness and tightening was the Fed funds rate, where would the Fed funds rate have to be to uh, equate to the Fed funds rate tightening of 525 plus the QT. So if we didn't do the QT, uh, this study shows that they've raised rates, they would have had to raise the Fed funds rate by 730 basis points is what they've effectively raised the Fed funds rate. That's a lot of tightening. And the, the Fed needs to realize, and of course Jay Powell said so explicitly, that the QT is continuing. So those rate hikes really are not rate hikes, but it's tightening of monetary conditions. That's going to go up to 800 basis points. So it's, a, it's very clever to say we're respecting uh, the potential for a less of a uh, uh, you know, less of increasing the unemployment rate, but at the same time, we are going mm -hmm. to buy ourselves time. Really good, really good stuff. I think it was an excellent 
way to handle this meeting. I agree with Steve completely that I think the narrative is going to develop that there's going to be no rate hike in November because they, mm -hmm. they need more data. They need more data, may, maybe December. But the other thing I want to tell the, the listeners about, this is really an interesting thing. I always talk about the yield curve being inverted as, as a, 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 a warning signal, if you will, puts you on watch that a recession might be coming. But it doesn't happen imminently. It takes time. Yeah. And so it's usually about 14 months to maybe 18 months after the, the twos, tens inverts that you start getting a recession. Well, that was last October. So we're coming on a year uh, on that one. And one way to track this, the best way, one of, my, uh, one of my investors sent me a note the other day that I found very interesting. Just look at the 30-week moving average of the twos, tens spread. When, it, when the yield curve de-inverts by crossing back above it's 30-week moving average, that's a really strong signal of a recession. And uh, that's very close to happening. Also, the unemployment rate is now up by 40 basis points off of its low. Uh, it's probably going to go higher, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. And so with, with that, you're going to get a crossover on the unemployment rate. And also, the unemployment rate is going to cross over its three-year moving average in the first quarter of next year by our, by our assessment. These are really strong recessionary indicators. So it's, it's starting, starting to pile up. I, I think that uh, the, the problem that we have, government shutdown looming, student loans being paid back, taxes being paid, I think the economy could slow down fairly quickly once we uh, get in the next, say, four to six months. But all, all that said, um, did bonds just become more attractive today? Because we think that, especially on the short end, you see that the two years obviously up. Uh, stocks, by the way, are at the lows of the session at, at this very moment. But if we think that, you know, rates on the short end are going to continue to rise for a bit before perhaps if your projection comes true and the economy weakens and then theoretically rates would, would go down, uh, did bonds just get more attractive to you? I, I think Treasury bonds are attractive. Um, I, f I find them quite attractive at this moment. Not for the long term, though, Judge. It's really for the short term on uh, economic gyrations, which I think are going to be weaker economy and probably weaker inflation than people are forecasting. But the problem is the long term for interest rates is getting increasingly unattractive because we have all of this interest expense that's piling up. And the deficit's already at 8% of GDP. And under a certain scenario that's not a very pretty one, you could go to 12% of GDP on the deficit. That's a ton of bonds. And so we have two really long-term secular indicators that turned uh, twice in my career. The first time they turned was in the early 80s. And that's uh, nominal GDP, a seven-year moving average of nominal GDP, peaked in the early 80s and fell for 40 years. So that has turned up starting, it formed a bottom between 2016 and 2020. And that's an that's, that's a, a interesting indicator. Uh, also, the core PCE seven-year moving average has exactly the same look. Peaked in, 20, in 1980, bottomed around, 19, around 2020. That's also going up. And so that suggests to me that the next bond rally, which will come in a Pavlovian response to recessionary conditions, will mm -hmm. not last. I, I think that the response to the next recession will be the same response that we've had in the last 20 years, and that's slashing interest rates and then probably quantitative, uh, quantitative easing. And this will 
well, this will be an inflationary policy. We, we, the deficit is going to get so bad in the next recession that we're going to have radical policy changes, just like the elections of the presidency keep getting wackier every four years. The responses by the, by the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve need to be more extreme all the time because the debt acts as a tractor pull. And I'm afraid that in the next recession we'll, we'll get a bond rally that doesn't stick because the response is going to have to be inflationary. So we're, we're in sort of the eye of the hurricane situation relative to the general trend, I think, in bond yields. For the time being, though, when you have to think about managing money actively, which of course we do every day, we have to uh, respect the fact that we think we're get looking at a bond rally. Even the 10-year Treasury yield is basically double-topped from where it was a, a year ago. It's, it's made us a, a minor new high. But I think we're getting near the end of this, uh, this uh, rate rise on the 10-year. Well, speaking of slashing rates, we learned from the outlook that we're you know, going to get two fewer cuts coming next year, at least based on the outlook, which you know, isn't worth much more than the piece of paper because it's not a prediction. It's just the, uh, yeah. obviously a, a, an outlook. But you've been looking for cuts. Tip. Yeah, you've been looking for cuts next year. I mean, are you, are you rethinking your outlook for rate cuts based on what the no, outlook no. today said? Not, not at all. I think, I think it's quite likely there's going to be rate cuts in the first half of next year. And I think they're going to be bigger than the Fed thinks uh, as their base case. Uh, so I, I think we have real rally potential in the long in the bond market. So the way you position, uh, Judge, is really pretty simple. It's the same that I've been advocating now for a while. You want that profit potential at the long end of the Treasury market to help hedge your risk positions. But where you really want to be in bonds is not T-bill and chill, which is the new uh, you know, rhyming phrase <laughs> that people use about investment strategy because you can buy the six-month bill at 550. But I wouldn't do that. I would, I would go more into a two to three year type of portfolio in credit where you can get seven and a half, eight and a half, nine percent yields. I mean, bank loans in the double B sector, they have yields that are up in the high single digits. And that, the Fed not cutting anytime soon means you're going to earn that yield for a while. So this, this is a, a market where we want a long-term position, uh, kind of a core position in treasuries for a fixed income portfolio. And then you want two and three year, because that's the, the, the peak of the curve, the two and three year in the securitized credit markets where you get these big yields. And so you can end up with a pretty uh, sleep at night type of portfolio that throws off income that's probably triple, if not uh, uh, three and a half times that of the equity market. The equity market is really overvalued versus the bond market based upon uh, risk premiums and stuff like that. Back a year and, a, a year and three quarters ago, bonds were stupidly overvalued. And as rich as stocks were when they began that bear market, uh, they were cheap to bonds. That's, that's changed by a factor of four. So you've gone from bonds were, were, were doubly rich to stocks to now bonds are doubly cheap to stocks. So it's been a 4x shift. And I think that uh, that, that should be respected in portfolios. So I think 25% long-term treasuries, 25%, not in cash, but in this, this short-term, uh, not terribly low in credit, but not pristine credit stuff. And then you want 25% uh, in stocks. And at this point, I, I think there might be a case for building a position in commodities, which have moved above their 200-day moving average in a way that's becoming quite convincing. Mm. It's mostly energy. It's mostly energy, but it seems to me that there's momentum behind this move in the commodity sector. 
So it's, it's, it's you read my mind. I was going to ask you how you would, you know, break up uh, 100 uh, percent <laughs> into which holdings to have. Um, but let me end then. If you, if you think that it's it's worthy of of having, you know, a 25 percent, let's just say uh, in commodities, you assume you must then that what has been dollar strength is going to turn into dollar weakness as the economy itself weakens. Yes, I, I think that for sure the dollar is going to weaken uh, in the next uh, rollover of the economy. It's going to weaken pretty mightily, I think. And that's one of the problems that the bond market's going to have, too. So I think, I think that's going to happen. Uh, what's happened recently is we've had a dollar a strength recently, and that's been a little bit at odds with uh, real interest rates, frankly. Uh, so, well, not, not with real interest rates, but at odds with sort of financial conditions broadly, I think, with the deficit. But that's going to change. Jeffrey, I appreciate it, as always. Uh, it's a good Fed day uh, when we have you on the backside of Powell. I appreciate it so much. We will see you uh, after the next meeting. I'm sure of that. Okay. Sounds good, Judge. Good luck, everybody. Right. Yep. You be well. That's Jeffrey Gunlock, of course. Uh, with DoubleLine, who joins us every Fed day, right when the Fed chair is done with his news conference. And you'll hear that again after the next meeting. Let's get to our results of our question of the day. We asked, how many times will the Fed cut rates next year? The majority of you said less than two. Maybe that changed a bit. Uh, maybe you had to rethink that after the outlook today from the Fed. Coming up next, SoFi's Liz Young. She joins me here on set at One Market. We'll get her first reaction to the decision. Plus, we are getting you set up for earnings and overtime, a rundown of what to watch when FedEx's numbers, they'll hit the tape in just a few moments from now. We're about 14 or so minutes away from overtime. All that and much more. We're going to take you inside the market zone next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We're now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli and SoFi's Liz Young here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, Frank Holland, he shares what to expect from FedEx. Those earnings out in just a few moments in overtime. Liz, I, I turn to you first. Um, was this what you expected from Powell? I mean, I, I didn't expect them to raise rates. So, yes, I think a lot of these messages end up being very anticlimactic by the time we get to the actual meeting. The carrot got further away. Right. But it's still a carrot, in my view. And you're looking at the expectations and their summary of projections that say, OK, inflation may be a little bit cooler this year, growth a little bit stronger, unemployment a little bit lower. If after I really try to play that out, it doesn't track entirely. Right. So we've got a Fed funds rate that we're expecting to be 5.6 percent by the end of the year, stay above 5 percent for all of 2024 without hurting the labor market, without hurting growth, even after Chair Powell has said over and over again, we will need to see a period of below trend growth in order to fix this problem. If we have a period of below trend growth, 
we're probably going to have a rise in unemployment. We're probably going to have some weakening in demand and further weakening in margins, in company margins. So some of this just isn't entirely tracking. I think part of it is that they can't forecast that there's going to be a contraction. They can't forecast that there's going to be a recession. Mm -hmm. So Gundlach would say, who we just obviously talked to, Jeffrey Gundlach would say that's exactly why he thinks that stocks are, in his words, wildly overvalued relative to bonds for the very scenario in which you say elevated rates and economy that's going to come in as a result. Right. So I think the, the soft landing expectation is taking what's going on today and extrapolating it out into the future and acting as if nothing's going to change. We're just going to stay on this trajectory. As we know, and as Jeffrey rightfully pointed out, the, the lags and even yield curve inversions are what you point to whatever indicator you want. This is the period where it usually starts to be a problem. So declaring victory and saying a soft landing is, is just going to create a scenario where this all continues, I don't think is likely. It's going to have to inflict pain. And that has been reiterated by the Fed. It's going to have to inflict pain. We've seen a little bit of pain, but not quite enough yet to take care of the inflation problem. I am absolutely with Jeffrey on the idea that I think we'll see cuts before the market thinks we'll see cuts. And I think we're going to see more cuts before then, because I don't think that it's sustainable to expect rates to stay at this level, expect the yield curve to stay this inverted, and that everything else just sort of carries on its merry way. Well, I mean, Mike Santoli, even the Fed chair himself wasn't willing to call a soft landing his baseline scenario. He, he knows the lag effects that are still to come. He knows that by keeping real rates higher into next year, that the economy is going to slow and the labor market is going to come even more, in his words, you know, into, into greater balance. The, the question is, what are investors to do with all of that? Well, you know, their forecasting ability, as he conceded, is no really no better than the market's collective ability to see ahead. I think what he did say is he's willing to allow himself and the Fed to get lucky if that's the way it goes and not necessarily try actively to short circuit the economy from here. Uh, you know, he, he was very diffident about the potential for another hike this year. Yes, that's what the committee projects. We leave it open because we're so close to the end of the year. That means one uh, meeting out of two, we make it a hike. But beyond that, I think it's much more about he's going to make use of all the latitude afforded to him by the fact that the rates are up around where they need to be. The economy still continues to be somewhat uh, stronger than they anticipated. And the long end of the Treasury curve and perhaps energy prices are doing some of the job they otherwise might seem to do. So, yep, stocks have a little bit of a, a colicky response as the two-year note yield does go higher, which is we have the higher for longer uh, medicine being applied. But I don't think this was a game changer today, and I don't think he wanted it to be a game changer. Look, the, the collective projection is for unemployment to go above 4 percent next year. They're not saying it's going to stay perfect. It is for a step down in GDP growth. Uh, and it, but I think also the fact that they don't have inflation going to their target until two plus years from now gives them the ability to stay patient. So the market is uh, perhaps you have to see what happens at the close and tomorrow uh, for the real response. The great you know, question, Mike, remains valuations. You heard you know, yeah. Gunlock suggest in his words, stocks wildly overvalued relative to bonds. The debate has been relative to where rates are, where the economy seems to be heading, where earnings you know, may in fact come in relative to expectations, whether stocks even you know, right now are, are just overvalued. 
it's a much longer conversation to decide how much the level of Treasury yields matters for equity valuations or not. Uh, it's obviously something that's in everybody's mind that it is a little bit, uh, you know, too tight right now. But I, I don't think that that's necessarily a clinching argument, especially outside the top seven stocks. Yeah, Liz, real quick to you. Uh, dollar going to weaken, take a position in commodities, maybe 25 percent of your portfolio as he sort of you know, broke it down. Twenty five, twenty five, twenty five bond stocks, um, you know, cash and commodities. I think in the near term, we're going to see dollar strength as rates continue to rise. And I think that inflation, given where oil prices are and just given where expectations are, that inflation probably comes in either at or slightly above expectations again, either next month, the following month, or at least for a while here. So I think the dollar strengthens before it weakens. But if I play my own scenario out, the dollar does weaken as the economy starts to show signs of stress. And that's when you don't want to be overly exposed. Yeah, sounds like that's uh, exactly what Jeffrey expected to happen, too. FedEx shares, we talked about them. Earnings are coming in overtime. Uh, shares are far outperforming rival UPS and the market year to date. There's Frank Holland uh, with more on that for us. Frank, what are we expecting? Well, Scott, I think you're really hitting on one of the important things. FedEx is really outperforming Rob UPS in the market. As investors, they are clearly supporting its broad cost-cutting and transformation plan that began just about a year ago. So the key thing to watch on this will be the call and any commentary on new business and also any possible updates to guidance. So FedEx recently announced a general rate increase starting next year and surcharges for this holiday season. A lot of analysts are watching for any comments about winning business from UPS during the Teamster negotiations. UPS itself estimates it lost more than 1 million packages per day in volume during those negotiations. Also, any gains in freight volume from the bankruptcy of Yellow. FedEx Freight is the largest LTL carrier in the nation. Yellow was in that same space. The influx of volume in both areas at higher prices is expected to give margins a boost. Evercore recently raised its EPS estimates for FedEx. There's a lot of speculation the company could also raise its EPS guidance. Back over to yeah. you. Thank, uh, thank you very much uh, for that, Frank Holland. Uh, Mike Santoli, what are your expectations here? Yeah, I mean, this is a management that's not been shy about calling out macro challenges when they see them. You could say that they're kind of blaming global conditions sometimes in past quarters. So I would be interested to hear their characterization of the macro, of, uh, of, of pressures like, I know they pass along fuel costs, but what that's doing to uh, demand. Now, uh, earnings expectations for the current quarter have come down pretty significantly in the last several months. So uh, in theory, I think the market kind of expects them to hurdle the latest print. But, uh, you know, it, it is uh, a much more in favor stock than it has been, I would say, in a couple of years. Yeah. So let's turn back to the market. So where I mentioned before, we were at session lows and, and that's where we are now. Um, but Liz Young, let's focus on those two words that took prominence today. Proceed carefully. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, investors are going to have to make up their minds in the, in, in the days ahead, how, how they view where the Fed's going to take rates and what their policy is going to go, how many hikes there are going to be, if any, when the cuts come, et cetera. But proceed carefully. Mm -hmm. Something to hang on? there if, if you want to see things more positively? Sure. I mean, this was one of those meetings where we get the dot plot, right? I think if you look over over time at what the dot plot suggests, you find out that the dot plot is not good at predicting what they're going to do because it just has risen over time. And if we hung our hat on that earlier this year, we would have wildly undershot where rates ended up. Carefully, I think, is the right word to use. And all it does, though, is make us just as data dependent as them. And we're watching the same data come in. They're watching the same data come in. As we move through fall, I do think another hike is 
is more possible now because mm. of what consumers are dealing with and because of the persistence of inflation. But again, I don't think that another 25 yeah. basis points really changes much. It just sends the message that they haven't given up the fight. And, and that's the important message. I mean, the question, Mike, is whether it changes, you know, the appetite, if you will, for growth stocks. I know yeah. it's not the number one factor, but it's an important one. And the Nasdaq's down 200 points. It's down one and a half percent. At the short end of the curve, the rates yeah. are up. Uh, it's a factor, and it's an important one. No, it's a factor in the short term. I will say that since the Nasdaq bottomed, uh, it's up 40 percent since October, and we're up 200 basis points in terms of Fed funds since then. So it matters, uh, but we'll see if that's more excuse uh, than reason. Yeah. All right, guys, I appreciate it very much. So stocks are going to go out at the lows of the day. Uh, there's the Dow. It's uh, down about 80 or so points. NASDAQ, as I said, is the biggest loser. I'll see you back here in San Francisco tomorrow. Look forward to that. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.